Hey gang, it's John. Thank you for listening to the first recap episode of 2019. We have some big news to announce. You're going to hear it here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, very, very cool thing has happened to Yen and I. We're really excited about it. And then obviously we discuss the episodes that have come out so far this year. Some of those require quite the discussion. So I hope you guys will listen in on that. And then at the end, we're going to uh, answer some listener questions. Uh, I wanted to say that this was recorded, I think, the day before Ranking Roger passed away. And uh, so we don't mention it in here because it hadn't happened. If it had, we would have spent some time on that. Roger, I can only speak for myself, had a major impact on me as a young guy and helped shape my taste in music, uh, what I liked, what I was interested in. He helped form that. He was a very big deal to me and I, and Yan as well. So unfortunately we didn't talk about it because it wasn't a thing. We'll have to push that off to the next one. But anyway, that's why he is missing from this recap. Okay, hope you enjoy it. First of all, um, I feel really guilty about how busy this month has been. And uh, I'm, I want to apologize, <laughs> yeah, that there have been so many bonus episodes this month. I mean, every week you're, we're spitting out two episodes. It's a lot of work for you. And I'm sorry. I don't know what else to do, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's all right. I don't mind. Are you I'm sure? Enjoy- yeah, I'm enjoying it. Okay. I, I feel so guilty, and it should cl- it should slow back down. I don't have as much going on in the pipeline right now, but I don't know what else to do when it's these promotional, you know, the promo mode episodes, the deep dives I figured would happen once a month, but then all these other things crop up, you know, and yeah. I don't know what else to do with them. And so I, I make them, I turn them into bonus content, but then that just leaves more work for you to do. So I'm really sorry. That's I'm exhausted. Funny. I imagine you're exhausted too. No, that's fine with me. Okay. Okay. Um, well, for starters, we have some big news. And, yes, uh, we do. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you tell every? I'll give the details, but why don't you tell everybody what's happening? So, uh, just to let everybody know, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is using some of our content in the induction ceremonies. Yeah. Next week. Isn't that wild? So I'll give everyone the details. A couple of months ago, I got an email out of the blue from Eddie. He contacted me and said, I'm the executive producer of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And for people who are listening, they in the States, this airs on HBO about a month after the fact. So if you've seen those induction ceremonies, that's what this is. And he said, I uh, am looking for, I was looking for content to play during the videos that introduced the um, inductees. And I wondered if I could use some of your interview with Chris White from the Zombies. First of all, I thought it might be a joke. So I looked the guy up and I looked through his email and it's not a joke. And I don't know how he found us. I didn't 
He must have just been Googling zombies content or something. I don't know. I don't know if he listened to the whole interview, but uh, we've been going round and round, signing paperwork and uh, everything to, to license out 15 seconds of the Chris White interview from the zombies to be played during the induction ceremony for them getting into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And uh, that's just mind-blowing to me. And we're going to be credited, I guess. I, I, I've been on the fence whether to even talk about this because I, it seems like one of those things you probably shouldn't say until it actually happens. But I, let's get it out there. I mean, yeah, during those videos that accompany the induction ceremony for the, for the guests, they're going to play a little bit of our thing. And I don't know how, I don't know what they've decided to play, but in the end credits, it's going to say, I think it says John Lamoureux, the Hustle podcast or John and Yan or something like that. Yeah, we're going to be a little piece of history. You and me. That's amazing, isn't it? It is amazing. And I, apparently, according to the paperwork, the video that accompanies these inductions stays in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for three years, I believe. So for three years, our little thing is going to... And I really have no idea that this if this will make any dent in terms of you know, find, people finding our podcast or whatever, but just the satisfaction of knowing that you and I have a little piece of rock history out there is one of the coolest things I can imagine, you know? Oh, it's totally cool. I mean, just think about it. Indirectly, you and I are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I know. I've got to be careful how much I laugh because I'm just going to cough. But yeah, that is just mind-blowing to me. So get this too. Listeners, I'm sharing this with you. So I didn't, I mean, they email me and they're like, you know, we need this sign. We need that. We need to know all these things. And I call the lady and I'm like, there's two ways to play this. Either A, like this happens to me all the time. Or B, like I have no idea what you're talking about. And I went with B. So I call the lady and I'm like, look, the podcast is me and my friend. And we, we do this on our own. We have regular jobs. And, um... I, what do people normally do in this situation? Do I just, uh, do you just need a verbal like, yeah, go ahead? Uh, and she's like, yeah, that's it. And we want to know how much money you want. And uh, I'm like, well, how much do other people ask for? I have no idea. I mean, I, if anything, I would I would pay them, you know? And, and she said, well, I'll be honest with you. The most people te- tend to ask for is 500 bucks. And so I said, well, let me think about it over the weekend. So you and I chat about this. And our feeling is that, I mean, we would, like we said, we would pay them. We don't want to be the guys who are like, we deserve 500 bucks at least for you taking our content. So we settled on 200 bucks. That that sounded about as far as we were willing to push it, right? Yep. So I tell her 200 bucks should be fine and uh, an attribution and we got it. And so, anyway, if anyone watches the induction ceremony next month on HBO, look for us when the zombies are inducted. And how how funny is it that uh, I wouldn't have voted for the zombies, and yet they're the ones who have us attached to them in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, uh, that's the, okay, because I did. That's right. You did. So you made it right. You made it right. Good for you. And... Uh, the Eddie guy says, you know, do you have content on anyone else that's going into the, the Hall of Fame this year? And I said, well, it's funny you say that. We interviewed Lowell Tolhurst from The Cure, and he's on there. And uh, and then I also, we that was all we had, but there had been 
like Fred Pineau from The Atlantics told a story about Roxy Music. And John Brewer, the director of the Beside, Ron, um, Beside Bowie documentary about Mick Ronson, mentioned Joe Elliott. So I told him that those things were out there, but he didn't he didn't uh, follow up on any of those. So it should just be the zombies. So we're going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Yan, you and me. Right awesome. where we deserve to be, if you ask yep. me. Yep. So anyway, well, if you think about it, what we're doing is rock history stuff. I I totally 100% agree. That's what's kind of cool about this is that in a way it's sort of validating. I mean, granted, it's not, I don't, you know, let's not make it bigger than what it is. But that's what you and I seek out to do is to document historically these people who don't have their histories documented already. You know, these stories and it's out there. It's a canon a library of of rock history that you're probably not going to find anywhere else. You and I are the ones doing that, and they recognize that enough to put a little bit of our stuff into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's amazing. Well, let's. Uh, we're short on time a little bit. We have about an hour and a half or so, but we should recap these last few months. Uh, last year we were doing these every two months. This year I don't know when we'll do them, but we're coming up on three months now. I will say for listeners who are interested, um, we're recording this, what, is today the 24th of March, I think? Yes, the 24th. Uh, next weekend, I am going to L.A. for a guy's weekend's weekend with some of my buddies. We, hadn't, we haven't seen each other for a while. And while I'm there, I'm recording a couple of episodes with Pat Francis for the Rock Solid podcast. And um, I have no idea when those are going to come out. I know one of them is going to be about Billy Joel, and the other one is going to be Soft Rock of the 70s. And so look for those if you're interested. I don't know when they'll be. I'll share them on Facebook and everything like that. But yeah, that's going to be part of the fun next weekend. And get this, Yen. The reason my buddies and I are all going to L.A. next weekend is to see Massive Attack in concert because they're doing a some kind of anniversary tour for their Mezzanine album and playing the whole album and I'm a gigantic that's one of like my top 10 favorite albums of all time and we just found out I think two weeks ago that the tour got postponed so now we've all bought our airfare we're all going to LA for the weekend and there's for this concert and there's no concert oh yeah yeah pretty frustrating but it will live I mean the five of us we're gonna have fun we haven't seen each other for a while so we're We'll have a fun weekend, but uh, it does suck. And get this too, the re- it was postponed, not canceled. If it had been canceled, we all could have gotten our money back for the tickets, which were $175. But because it's postponed, uh, you don't get your money back. So we, if we want to see this show, and it's been postponed, I think, till September 4th, which is a Wednesday, we're going to have to fly back. I think I have this right. We're going to have to fly back to L.A. in the middle of the week, take time off work to go see this concert on a Wednesday night just so that we don't get dinged. So I doubt any of us are going to be able to do that. We're going to have to sell our tickets somehow. But anyway, it did not work out the way we wanted, but at least we're going to have a fun weekend. Oh, that's good. Okay, so let's do some recapping. There are some episodes that have come out so far this year that require a lot of discussion, I think. So we won't spend too much time on some of the littler ones because there are some in here, I think, that we should probably uh, get into some of the... Can you believe, and all these people dying? Anyway, there's a lot to say about some of these episodes. 
Uh, for starters, we kicked it off on New Year's Day with Tower of Power. Here's the deal. I'll just be honest with everybody. I try really hard not to be pigeonholed as the 80s alternative podcast, even though I know that's what a lot of our stuff is because that's kind of my wheelhouse, you know? Um, I try to expand. And so when a publicist came to me and said, are you interested in Tower of Power, who I love, I said, absolutely. And I love stuff like that because it just kind of broadens the scope of what we like to cover here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they, they're great. They are yeah. so good. I mean, they're, and they're legends. They've been around for 50 years almost doing this thing. And how forthcoming Emilio was talking about the challenges of managing like nine people to be at one concert and on stage at a certain time, you know, and he's the leader of all of that and how hard that is. I, it can't, it can't be easy. And I loved how, you know, honest he was about that. Um, I will admit, I understand if you're a regular listener and you love it when we talk about the human league. And so you don't care as much about tower of power. That's fine. Their uh, fans went nuts over it and they shared it and all their fans shared it. And so it's actually one of our most successful episodes of the last like six months or so, which I would not have guessed, but it really turned out nicely. So that was a good one. Have, were you a fan already or did you kind of know them? Or did you already know them or did you get turned on with the episode? No, I'd, I'd heard some of their stuff before, but mm -hmm. really with the episode, that's what turned me on to them. Yeah. And it's yeah. fantastic. It is. Uh, and I will say this again, they put out an album last year, I believe it was called Soul Side of Town, that is great. And a band like that, that's still going and putting out their best albums, absolutely worth your time. Uh, okay, after Tower of Power, we did Liberty DeVito. That was a Paul Underwood production, and he nailed it. Um, I was really proud. I don't know if you... You probably don't listen to the ones you don't produce, right, Dan? Uh, I tried to catch them. Yeah. Just, just lately, I'm so busy. It's just nuts. <laughs> of course. I understand. So the deal with Paul is that Paul had, um, as I've mentioned, he offered to step in and fill in, or he wants to kind of, you know, be involved and... I love his production work, and but his schedule is such that he's it's probably best if he covers about one episode a month. And um, the first two were Keith Scott and Liberty, who he's gigantic fan of. But um, in general, because he has like a month to work on these things, I send him some of the ones that are sort of big and bulky and unruly and need some serious editing. And so we'll get into more of that later, but that's where like Brent Bourgeois and... Um, Duncan Sheik come in. But Liberty DeVito was a great interview. I was so proud of that one. And um, a lot of people had been requesting Liberty for years. And I always just say, go watch Hired Gun. I'll, everything you want to know is in the documentary. I don't know what I could add to that. And so in going into talking with Liberty, I thought, you know, rather than focusing on what's in that movie, maybe we focus on the music. Maybe he, I don't know if he gets asked very often, like, what did you contribute to this song or that song or... You know, how did you feel about this album or that? So I tried to make it about that. And um, I feel it like it went over really well. Yeah, it worked really well. I was really proud of that one. Um, he did not share it, and uh, which was a big heartbreaker for Paul and I because we, we had high hopes that this one was just going to explode. And uh, other than getting picked up on a couple of Billy Joel fan sites or whatever, uh, Liberty did not share it. So... Anyway, I don't know. I, I love that one. It's finding its audience, but it could have been so much more. Um, let's see. Verve Pipe. 
So oh, that was so good. Wasn't it good? Do you remember? Uh, okay, so I'll be honest. I don't know that if I didn't have a personal connection with them through, as I told, as I mentioned in the interview, uh, I went on my mission, Mormon mission, to Michigan in the early '90s, and that's when they were just starting out. And I'm not allowed to listen to secular music on my mission, but I hear from people a lot that, oh, you like music. Well, the Verve Pipe are huge, and they're going to get big, and just you wait, and uh, keep an eye out on the Verve Pipe when you get home and can listen to music again. So I do, and it takes a while, but they eventually get big, and then they completely disappear. And I, I don't know if I would be the world's biggest Verve Pipe fan if I didn't have that personal connection, but he was so great in that interview. The best, do you remember what he said when I asked him about how did you know when you got successful? What did you splurge and spend your money on do you remember what he said shampoo yeah that was right yeah it was a nice shampoo nice shampoos it was so fun and so i and here's the deal our 90s guests have you noticed that 90s episodes uh kind of underperform they don't they're not as big as some of the 80s and 70s and i say that because if there are people out there listening to this who chose to skip that one I can understand, but I would listen to it because it's a lot of fun, and he was great. Oh, he was he was awesome, and that that you know triggering the the gray matter on that one that was so funny. Yeah, the shampoo, I loved it. just he was a he was a great, really down to earth, self effacing guy. You don't have to like that band to have enjoyed that interview. I don't think. Um, okay, one of the first uh, bonus episodes of the year came from me being on Reliving My Youth. Noel and I have been doing this thing where we've been counting down uh, soundtrack songs. So we recorded two. The second one hasn't come out yet. It might have by the time we release this recap. But he and I counted down our top 10 favorite 80s soundtrack songs. And we had so many to pick from that we did another one, which was our top 10 honorable mentions of 80s soundtrack songs. We recorded that. That's still going to come out. And then we were talking the other day about doing a top 10 90s soundtrack songs. I go on the Pods and Sods network sometimes and we're doing, Joe Royland, Eric Miller and I are doing this soundtrack thing over there as well. I, uh, you're just, it's so fun because I've been obsessed with this topic for years and I get to just dump all my soundtrack knowledge and fundum on all of you uh, poor listeners. So thanks for indulging me in that. Ian Burden from The Human League is next up. That was another one of our biggest episodes lately. Did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. I, I keep a, I go in and take a look and see what we're doing every so often. And yeah. it's, it's done pretty well. Yeah. I was so glad that we got to get a member of Human League on our show. Because I've been trying to get Phil Oki or one of the girls. I'd really love to have one of the girls on the show forever. And it's never worked out. And I'll give you a story. So about a year or so ago... One of our listeners, Nigel Walters, uh, sends me a message and he says, what about Ian Burden? And I thought that's a great idea. So I send Ian a friend request on Facebook and he accepts it. And so I send him a message. Hey, Ian, thanks for the ad. We'd love to have you on our show. Nothing. I never hear from him again. And then randomly, I thought, well, what the heck? Like almost a year later, I sent him another message. Hey, I don't know if you ever saw my first one, but we'd still love to have you. And he replied right away, I would love to do this, happy to do it. And he came on and he was great. He he was a little reserved. It's not like major, major fireworks. But my feeling is that if you love that band, you're learning a lot that you would not learn 
otherwise, you know? Yeah. And he, he agreed to come back on and do the deep dive. He and I, we've just had trouble scheduling it, but it, that might be our April episode is he and I talking about dare. So, okay. That'd be cool. Cause <laughs> if, if you look, if you love 80s, early 80s uh, music, they were fantastic. I agree. And actually getting Ian rather than Phil is probably a good thing because Phil probably gets most of the media. That's my thinking on some of this stuff. Um, because here's my feeling is that people like Phil who are still in the band, they're still kind of promoting. You know what I mean? They're not, those guys are not as, the front men especially, are not always as uh, introspective as some of the other people are, you know? Because they're forced to sort of continue to keep the ball rolling and sound like it's all going well and it's all perfect and we have these upcoming shows. And that's why I sometimes seek out the other people because they have, they're gonna, their defenses are not up. They're, they might be more likely to be open and honest about something and tell it to you in, a, in an authentic way. Whereas Phil Oakey, as great as he is, he may not have that luxury or go there. You know what I mean? Sure. So that's why I seek out people like that. And I hope you guys are okay with that. But I, I'm, I feel like that's where the story is. I think I compare, I heard something recently about, um, someone was say, talking about football and American football. Sorry again. And they were saying, if you really want to understand football, don't look at the ball. Which tells me that you watch what everybody else is doing, you know, see what those, what, uh, you know, the linemen and the defense and watch all of that. The ball's the least interesting thing. You got to find out what everybody else is doing to make the ball do what it needs to do. And that, so that's kind of becoming a little bit of a philosophy around look at everybody else, see what their story is. So uh, after that, we did our first deep dive, which was Thomas Dolby. Well, Matthew Seligman talking about Thomas Dolby's Flat Earth. And it worked out really well, didn't you think? Oh, it went so well, and I really like uh, having Matthew on. He's good. He is. We're so lucky that these people take our calls. You know what I mean, Yan? Uh -huh. I, mean, I mean, I can, you know, like I'm, I'm sort of friends a little bit with Matthew. If I next time I'm in the UK, if I were in his neighborhood, I'd say, "Hey, I'm here. Let's go to the pub." Or so I mean, that's just mind blowing for to me. This guy, you know, he's been in the Soft Boys and the Thompson Twins, but he likes us. He trusts us, and he's open to coming on and talking about stuff like this. That is just incredible to me. You know, we're nobodies, Yan. It's yeah. it's unbelievable. So um, well, not anymore. We're in the Hall of Fame now. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. There's an asterisk there now. Yeah, we're less nobodies than we were before. I love the way you say that. Just keep saying that. We're in the Hall of Fame now. I cannot believe that. So the, what's, what was cool about that is that he shared it. And when he did, he tagged, because he's still friendly with Thomas Dolby. And he tagged Thomas on his, his Facebook post and maybe on Twitter too. I don't remember that one for sure. But it was a total, what, what was that? And Thomas shared it and it, it blew up. It did. It got huge. In fact, uh, this ties into one of the questions Andy Shaw asked later on, but it's one of our biggest episodes ever. And uh, Thomas didn't know this. I mean, it was a pleasant surprise, and thankfully those two are still friends. So when he saw that it was out there, he was like, my old friend Matthew did this thing, and how wonderful, we love him. And here it is, everybody. And he 
addressed in real time some of the things Matthew and I talked about. That was just, it's, can you believe, I mean, Thomas Dolby is sitting there listening to our podcast, Yan. That's cool. Isn't that cool? Oh, yeah. I can't, it's amazing. Uh, anyway, so thanks to Thomas Dolby for making that be as big as it was. Next up was Don Dixon, the producer extraordinaire. I uh, I had been holding on to that one for a few months, not on purpose. Just it wasn't the timing never came up. I don't know that there were gigantic fireworks in that one. Uh, you you see Don the name Don Dixon. He's such a great uh, singer songwriter in his own right. And then you factor in the REM and the Smithereens and the Marshall Crenshaw and the Matthew Sweet and the Guadalcanal Diary aspect. And you figure there's just going to be it's going to be incredible to talk with him about all these people. And it was. But um, I don't know that it was like, you know, mind blowing or anything like that. Plus, I got the impression near the end that he was trying to be nice, but was sick of talking to me and uh, was wishing that thing would just end. So I don't know if he likes me. I'd love to bring him back for some kind of a deep dive. I don't know if he'll do it or not. But um, in the end, I'm really grateful that we got to document a Don Dixon story because he's kind of a legend in my mind, you know? Uh-huh. Uh you know, having somebody that's worked with all those people that was great uh, it was that he'd covered that you you said oh when a man loves a woman need... yeah yeah that's it and you said you and you said you said uh <laughs> and you said do we really need another cover of that and then you listen to it and it's phenomenal yeah it really is it's incredible so yeah i was really um happy with how that one turned out um I think at one point near the very end, this is how I could tell that I might be keeping him long. I think he started washing his dishes. I don't know if you remember that, but in the, you could hear faintly in the background that like dishes clinging, clinging together. I thought, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, he is so sick of me by this point. But anyway, turned out nicely. Uh, and then Embrace. Now, Yan, I discovered em I, Embrace have never done much over here. I discovered them when I was on one of my trips in the UK, probably to hang out with you guys. Um, did you know who Embrace was? I had heard of them. I hadn't listened to any of their stuff before then, but they're now on my to-buy list. Yeah. After that, that was just so good. Their it's music so is great. I agree. It uh, It's just so like soul-stirring and life-affirming. It's just big and epic, but in a grand, beautiful way, you know? And um, I think they're so special. And uh, I, I, I assumed more people would know them than it ended up being, but that episode still did really well. Thankfully, their fans um, got behind it and it did well than it probably would have otherwise. But I think they're great. And I hope that a, just a few of you came away more into Embrace or turned on to Embrace them beforehand, you know? I was thinking of you, Yan, because they just did that tour. I think it just ended recently. Man, if I were you, Yan, I'd be at a concert every night. All my yeah. favorite bands are from the UK. I would be out every night at something. I don't know how you don't do that. <laughs> because I don't get home till late. Yeah, yeah good point. Mostly. <laughs> good point. I know. Yeah, I, uh, I would be at every one of those shows. You know, you live on an island and it's not that big. So you could drive, you know to some of these easier than I could like, you know, fly to Chicago or whatever to see. Oh yeah. 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 Case in point, when I did the ACDC, I just got in the car after work and drove. Yeah. For the, yeah, 
That was great. So, and I am very much aware, I don't know why this is, but we've had a lot of bassists on lately. And uh, I've been thinking a lot of, now I'm like super self-conscious. If we have anyone on and they're a bassist, I'm, I feel like, I feel like it's too on the nose. Like, I wonder, and then, but then I, I've also thought maybe our bassists just, there is there a personality makeup to playing a bass or being a bass player in a band that makes you more likely to shoot the breeze with nobodies who happen to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like us? You know what I mean? I wonder. But then, for me, the drum and the, and the bass are the total building block of the song. Yeah. I just wonder if there's something... Like, maybe the bassist feels like the least seen or heard or spotlighted person in the band and so when they get the opportunity to talk they really jump at it or something yeah. i don't you know what i mean yeah um in terms of embrace the band i had contacted them probably two years before this interview actually happened and surprisingly someone whoever manages their facebook page wrote back and said danny who's the lead singer danny mcnamara uh, Danny's going on holiday for a month and when he gets back I think he'd be happy to do this and so I followed up and nothing and I followed up after that still nothing so every three to six months I'll try again nothing 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 and then I saw that they were doing this tour I thought well maybe now's the time and so they finally got back to me and they offered up Steve Firth who was the bass player which is totally fine. I just wanted to have a reason to showcase somebody from that band and it worked out. So Yeah, and that was a great episode. It was. The, the, um, that music is well worth I, some bucks. Yes. It's so good. And if you want to know where to start, just ask me. I'll give you I'll tell you where to go because they are amazing. After that was Duncan Sheik. Again, as I mentioned, nineties <clears throat> artists don't always do as well as some of the others. I did you know who Duncan Sheik was? Yeah, I don't have the name. Yeah. Okay. That was another Paul Underwood production, so I know that you didn't work on it, but I, I assume everyone knows at least "Barely Breathing" that song, but um, maybe they don't. I don't know. But uh, that one was really interesting. I had heard going back to reliving my youth. I heard Duncan on there a while ago, and it was a really good interview. And uh, so when that happens, usually I always feel like you know, well if. If there's a good interview out there, I don't need to do one because uh, I just lose all my enthusiasm to talk to somebody if I feel like the story is already out there. So I didn't. I fought the urge to reach out to him, and eventually I thought, you know what, though, because of having I saw him in concert, I talked to him a little bit back then, and um, I told a story where I wore the same shirt the next time I saw him in concert in case he would remember me, and he didn't. And I thought, you know, these little per personal colors. No one else has those, so maybe I can build off that. And I reached out to him, and he caught right back to me and said, absolutely, I'd be happy to do it. And um, in the interview, I think it said in there, he was like, oh, I can totally get you Howard Jones. Don't even worry about it. He and I are friends. I'll put in a good word. You, I'll hook you guys up. Well, that has yet to happen. So <clears throat> I followed up with him. Shortly after the interview, thanks if you really meant it about Howard. I would love to chat with him. Yeah, absolutely. Let me uh, send him your email and we'll, we'll be in touch. 
Never heard from him again. Uh, I let him know when the episode came out. Didn't hear from him then. He didn't retweet or like or anything like that. So <laughs> it's so frustrating when you feel like you've put all this work into this you know, love letter to these artists. And uh, you know that their fans would just be chomping at the bit to hear this stuff. And they don't know it's there because the, the person just doesn't... I don't know. Maybe they're not narcissistic enough or maybe they think that it's too cool. Maybe they don't like us. I don't really know, but it, uh, it's so frustrating. I mean, as long as we put it out, somebody's going to find it. I mean, yeah. case in point, we talked about it on a, previ on a previous, you know, if somebody was looking for stuff on PM Dawn and your, mm -hmm. our stuff was the only thing out there for the past, for however long. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so stuff like that's going to happen. It's true. It's true. Um, I will say, too, as going back to what I mentioned, uh, I sent that one to Paul because it was a lot longer than what ended up coming out. Uh, Duncan talked a lot about his Buddhism, which was totally fine with me. I, I'm fine with people talking about that. I, I assume our listeners wouldn't want, like, 20 minutes on that, necessarily. So because Paul has more luxury with time, he's able to kind of trim a 20-minute conversation about Buddhism down to a five-minute conversation about Buddhism without losing it, you know? So uh -huh. th that's what I really lean on him for is sort of some editing in that way. Another thing, too, was um, I will tell one thing that he cut out that I wish he had stayed in there, and I don't know if this will make sense to any of our listeners except maybe our Mormon ones, and who knows how, all 12 of you or whoever, but um, I... I told Duncan told a story in there about the night of his second concert in Salt Lake, having a very crazy, I assume sort of sexual experience with a couple of young Mormon girls that he was hanging out with that <laughs> night. And I called, I referred to it as a Mormon orgy. And he was just saying how weird it was. I don't know what that means. He wouldn't elaborate, unfortunately, but I'm imagining that there are these, there are a couple of Mormon girls out there who are probably still Mormon and they're probably married to Mormon guys and they go to church every week and uh, they do their callings in their wards and they have a bunch of little kids live in the Mormon life. And in their minds is a memory that they've probably never even told their husbands about the time they had a crazy Mormon orgy with Duncan Sheik. And no <laughs> one knows that. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know that's in somebody's brain somewhere, and they aren't telling it. They aren't talking about it, but they're sitting in church and they're thinking about it once in a while. Like, wow, I had a crazy night with Duncan Sheik one time, but that is so far from who I am now. I'm just going to continue to put it away, but that memory is there. Yep. Okay, and then we go promo mode. Our first promo mode with Bruce Blackman. Um, how do you feel about the promo modes? Yeah. Oh, I enjoy that. That's good because getting some of these. Some of these artists putting new material out, they deserve a shot. I agree. Um, I will admit, uh, these promo mode, and I don't know how many of them we're going to do. I'm not going to necessarily go seek them out, but we've had plenty of former guests that have gone on to put out a book or an album or a single or whatever, and they'll tell me about it. And while it doesn't make sense for the official Tuesday documentation of someone's history, we do want to share it with our listeners, you know, they deserve that. And so I'd like to, I try to keep the conversation short, you know, I, I don't want the whole episode to be longer than about 30 or 40 minutes. And uh, we just talk about, because their stories, 
Their story is already told, so we don't need to get into the details. We can just talk about this thing. But I will admit, it feels really unnatural to me to do those. You know? They aren't the easiest. I have a harder time doing those interviews than I do a regular one that takes all the research and everything like that. Um, just because uh, it's not in my nature to... Hey, tell me about your new thing. That's so great. But I do want to be supportive, so I do it anyway. And did you see... Oh, by the way, did you see... Uh, like a week after that episode came out, which he didn't share it either. I, one more little rant. If our former guests are going to come to me and say, hey, I put out a book, and I say, great, let's talk about it so I can help you promote your book, at least share the episode with your fans, you know? I mean, uh, that's a give and take here, isn't it? It would seem that way, but he didn't do it. Um uh, he's probably more concerned with other stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. It's like a week later, he posted on Facebook that his, I think if I have this right, he's been using a, mostly using a friend's studio to record all of his music. And his friend's studio burned down. And a lot of Bruce's equipment and instruments and recordings and all this stuff were in his friend's studio that blows you know that yeah. sucks so i'm a little worried about bruce because he was really on a roll the guy's in his 70s and he's just continuously working on new music and putting it out and having success and writing books but i hope i'm a little nervous about what that studio burning down means to his momentum yeah, I saw that, and then you think, oh, you, you, you just think a little bit and think, oh, that's terrible. Yeah. Yeah, I worry about him. Okay, <clears throat> let's talk about Paul Webb from Talk Talk. This is one of the big ones. Did you think it was awkward? Did you think it was uh, difficult to listen to? No, actually, but that might be because of the way I cut it. So you didn't find it to be that uncomfortable or anything like that? No. So I've been uh, I've been pretty upfront here. I get asked all the time. I even got asked today, who's your dream interview? And my number one dream interview has always been Mark Hollis of Talk Talk. Because I just want to know why that band went on the journey that it did from their first album to their last. No one's ever done something like that. And uh, Mark who's now dead, we'll talk more about that in a second, um, Was not has not done an interview in 20 years or something like that. And uh, I had reached out to Tim Freese Green, who was their producer and who really worked closely with Mark during when as they were getting even weirder and weirder. And he turned me down. He said he doesn't like to talk about the past. And I was having a difficult time finding Paul Webb or Lee Harris, the other two guys. Well... When Paul Webb, under the name Rustin Man, was releasing this new album, I thought, perfect. This is my chance to get somebody from Talk Talk on the show. Now, the hard part about that is that I don't really want to talk about the Rustin Man album. You know, I'm not really interested in that. Um, but you, that's, that's how, that's the premise under which these interviews happen a lot of the time. And so I... Uh, I thought, well, you know, I'll get it again, going back to the give and take. We'll talk about the new Rustin Man album, 
and hopefully he'll that that'll open him up or warm him up to telling me all about Talk Talk. I even cleared it with the lady uh, from the out from the record label Domino beforehand. I said, look, just so you know, because I got the impression that they don't like talking about the past. Just so you know, I'm going to be asking a lot of Talk Talk questions. I hope that's okay. She said, yeah, that should be fine. So Paul comes on. And uh, we, I try to butter him up a little bit by talking about Rustin Man for a while. And then I try to transition into Talk Talk. And as soon as I do, it felt as if his defenses go up. And he says, oh, I'm, I was just the bass player. Or, oh, that was so in the past. You know, I don't like talking about the past. I don't even think about it. I don't really know. So long ago. I can't remember. And I'm thinking, come on. I mean, you know that you are a member of a band that is beloved and that no one hears about anymore. And this is your chance to give us a little something. You've got to do better than this. And he wouldn't do it, you know? And uh, it was, I tried every angle I could think of in there to get him to open up. And uh, it n nothing worked, you know? And it was really, really frustrating. Here I had gotten as close to my dream interview that I've wanted all this time and it was just kind of going down in flames. But you didn't see it that way, huh? No, because the, the way I see it now with Mark uh, passing not that long after, we, we probably have one of the last interviews with with all, all the band members still, yeah. still around. Yeah, I thought that too. And, as, you know, so this comes out on a Tuesday and I think Mark died on Friday. I think or something like that the timing on that just could not have been more surreal because and maybe you felt this way too yan i mean i had had talk talk on the brain for like the last month preparing for the interview doing it giving it to you you preparing it to put it out it coming out the response being what it was and i i thought i cannot believe that this guy mark hollis is dying right now of all the times, you know what I mean? It's just unbelievable to me. Oh, and, and their their music was so good too. I mean, so I, I, I think I, I've, you know, I've when I posted the the link to it on my own page, you know, I said that the the, uh, the life life's what you make it mm -hmm. is, is my favorite song of theirs. Yeah, and it's so good. It is good, and when you consider that, you know. Mark's dead now it takes on an added weight and meeting you know what I mean that wasn't I mean it was there before but it's even heavier now and so I thought I wondered how I wondered how Paul if he would approach that interview differently if he knew that Mark was going to die a couple weeks later you know because his and here's my thought too is that Paul probably feels like look I don't want to be the spokesman for Talk Talk you know uh -huh. Mark's Mark's not talking. I shouldn't have to do it either. And so the way that he defends himself from people like me is to just play dumb. Oh, I don't know. So long ago. I don't remember. I'm just the bass player. You know, I didn't make any decisions. Him dumbing it down like that. That's how he deals probably with people like me who just want to talk about that. But I thought, I wonder if he, he would have, if he knew that Mark Hollis was going to be dead a couple weeks later, if he would have still acted that way. I don't know. I will say, I wanted to throw this out there. One of our listeners, and I, I forgive me, whoever you are, I don't remember who posted it. 
sent me a link to another podcast called Hanging with Audiophiles that Paul did. And I if if I've got the timing right, the that episode of that podcast came out, I think about a week or two before ours did, which made me think that the interview that he did with Paul happened maybe a week before the one I did with Paul. And um, But what was interesting about this Hanging with Audiophiles interview, if you want to go look it up, if you're a big Talk Talk fan, the host says in his inter- introduction, he doesn't even really know that much about Talk Talk. So that Talk Talk really never even came up in their interview. It was all like geek speak gear talk about the Rustin Man album. And Paul was a completely different guy on that interview. He was fun-loving and jovial. And you could tell that that's what he really wanted to talk about. He wanted to get into the nuts and bolts of, I use this kind of microphone and this kind of cord and I plugged it into this and then I tinkled on that and I played this little thing and the sound, whatever. Getting into like the production minutia and nerdery of all that kind of stuff about his new album was exactly what he probably had preferred to talk about. So it was actually kind of nice to hear him be so effervescent on this other interview um, because when he talked to me, I just thought maybe that's how this guy is. is just kind of, you know, I don't know, sort of a wet noodle, but I guess not. I'm glad to know that he wasn't. Those are my thoughts on that one. I, I probably could talk even more. I just cannot believe sometimes our timing. It happened with the Buzzcocks. It happened with the Smithereens. It happened here. We've had two of our former guests die. Um, Daryl, uh, Dennis Dragon from um, Surf Punks. John Lever from the Chameleons. It's just incredible to me. You know, Yan? Yeah. Uh... I'm really grateful, though, that we've got these stories documented, if anyone wants them. Okay, next up was February's Deep Dive with Dr. Dr. Robert from the Blue, Blow Monkeys. Do you remember them? Yes. Were they on your radar at all? I remember that album cover too. Really? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. He was he talked all about that. Looking like the lead singer of Aha. Yeah. Um Yeah, I uh look that sometimes I'll just admit it, folks, sometimes some of these interviews are for me. And um that was one that was just that was for me. I don't know why it is, but of all the interviews that I've done, and we're up to almost like 250 of these if you count bonuses, uh, the one that makes me just shake my head that I cannot believe happened is that one. Is is talking to Dr. Robert the first time around early on. The thought that he talked to me blows my mind more than anyone else. I don't know why. I I like that band. I love them in some regards. They're not like an all-time favorite, but for whatever reason that and when he he agreed to come back on to talk because he remembered me from our first interview and thought it went well. That's a good sign of what we're doing here. It is. It is. Yep. So I understand if people are like I don't know who the Blow Monkeys are. I don't like them. I don't care. I understand that because the numbers for that one weren't as strong as some of the others, but it was for me. It mattered a lot to me. It's one of my Fair. favorites. Again, for that one, great album. Yeah. Worth some of your bucks. 
I agree. And and like I was saying, if all you know from them is Digging Your Scene, that's a great song. But if you dive into some of those other tracks, to me, it's not a Sophistapop album. It's a rock album with horns accentuating the sound. There's just a lot more going on there than you probably would think, you know? And um, I love it. It's one of my favorites ever. Uh, okay, then came Phil Thornalley. Now... Yeah, I got to give this one up to you because this is maybe popular is probably the wrong word because it did really well. But there are other episodes in terms of numbers have done better. But in terms of feedback that we got and comments and stuff like that, I don't think another episode we've put out in the last in months has been as positively accepted as that one. Do you do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And I think it's all you. Because maybe you could tell us a little bit, how many ums and uhs did you have to cut out of that episode, that interview, to make it what it was? I lost Kang. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, a lot. That was a lot. Yeah. It, that happens a lot. And I know that you, that's one of the things I like most about what you do when you produce, is I know how meticulous you are about cutting out the ums and the uhs and tightening things up. That's why sometimes I'm so proud when I send you something and I'm like, guess what? You don't have to do any of that on this one. I have a feeling you still do it, even though you don't need to, because you can't help yourself. But there are some that are like, nope, don't worry about it. No tightening needed. It's uh, it's good to go. But that one needed a lot of uhs and ums cut out. So as it, one of the reasons I think it was so well-received is because of how great it sounded and I you are you deserve the credit for that one now and you, you know you're right I still do it even, when, even I have a feeling. yeah I do because I want to make sure it's as good as I can get it yeah I had a feeling yeah that one took a lot of work however he was a blast he was a oh, total was so blast. good so many great stories so much good music that you would never have guessed the same guy was behind all of that stuff. Torn, The Cure's Pornography, Wax, Robbie Neville, his own stuff with Astral Drive, which is one of the best albums I've heard in months. It, uh, that is, uh, that one was just so much fun. I heard so many people, a lot of the comments that we got back were like, I enjoyed the hell out of that. Or I couldn't stop listening. Or I thought I was going to listen to a few minutes and I ended up staying for the whole thing because I couldn't stop it. It was so much fun. That's what I thought about that one. It was great. I loved the story behind Torn. That's awesome. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you just, I mean, it really is kind of like winning the lottery, some of this stuff. You know? Yep. You don't know. You're toiling away and you co-write this song for this obscure rock group Edna Swap that doesn't go anywhere but somewhat the right person hears it and when it comes time to build the, a career for this young new chanteuse named Natalie Imbruglia someone picks your song they could have picked anything and they picked your song and it became a hit you know yeah uh, was it Paul I, I can't remember if it was Paul but somebody had made the comment something about Natalie Imbruglia no, nobody ever no female singer wore bangs better. Ah, that's true. That yeah. was Paul. It was Paul. Okay. She she's a good looking lady. Good lady. I've tried to get her on here. Um, 
just that I think that would, yeah. yeah, that would be great to have more uh, female guests. I think they're underrepresented. Uh, you're speaking my language here, Yan. I, um, I actually feel really guilty because we haven't had a woman on here for a while. And it's not from a lack of trying. I want people to know. Yeah, we haven't had any for a while. And there's not even many in the pipeline right now. And I feel really, really guilty about that. I try. I, I used to keep track. Like we were maybe around 10% of our episodes would have, or 10 to 15% would be females. And I'd always try to get more. But it's been a while. I think, I think Linda Clifford might be our last female guest and that was close to six months ago oh and and she was fantastic (laughs) she was so great and i feel really guilty about this and so if anyone out there (laughs) i want you to know that we know that we try to get women on here as often as possible and um i'm aware that uh we need to do better at this so anyway um yeah i've reached out to her a couple of times and never heard back so Brent Bourgeois, our episode that Paul did last week that just came out, Brent worked with Todd Rundgren and Todd is Phil's hero. And um, the Todd Rundgren fans kind of got behind that Phil episode. And when the Brent one came out, someone made a comment on our post saying, you should try and get Todd on here. Well, I've actually tried that before. I hear, I get requests for Todd a lot. And my feeling about that is that his fan base is so rabid and passionate that I'm afraid I would just let them down because I it feels like you really have to know your stuff, not just to get past Todd's fans, but Todd himself, because he does not suffer fools. And I've never felt like I was quite up to the task. I was afraid that I wouldn't do very well. But one of our listeners, or listener to those episodes anyway, Carolyn, uh, contacted me and said, look, if you want to talk to Todd, here's the emails for his management team. So I me- I, me- I emailed them right away and I heard back right away and they said, you know, Todd's swamped right now. He's loaded up with promotional interviews, but maybe later we can do this. I said, that's perfectly fine with me. Well, like the next day I get a message from Phil Hey, John, thanks again for the episode. It was great. My mom even listened to it. She's 85 years old. She loved it. If you ever need anyone else for your show, any connections, don't hesitate to ask. I'm happy to put in a good word. Oh, and by the way, I heard you might be talking to Todd Rundgren. And so this Carolyn lady or somebody, word got around already to Phil that I might be talking to Todd. And now Phil is super excited that that might happen. So anyone, isn't that wild? Yeah. That's, that's Phil funny. is like envious of us that we might have Todd on this, on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, that was so funny to me. So anyway, if I can get this going with Todd, I'm going to turn that one over to a lot of the listeners. I'll post about it on Facebook. I'm going to reach out to, um, to Phil, probably Brent Bourgeois. I know our, our friend Brent, uh, Brad Page from the I'm in love with that song podcast is a huge fan Paul Underwood's a big fan. I'll put it out there and I'll take in as much content from you guys as I can because I think talking to Todd, you really have to know your stuff. And so I'm going to rely on you diehard fans for all of that. Anyway, 
Phil was one of the best. That's one of the best episodes I think we've ever put out. Just in terms of entertainment value, you know? It's going to have to be go hard, a long way to compete with uh, Shacklock, though. Oh, Shacklock. <laughs> Some of these producers are so much fun. I got I to gotta reach out to Shacklock and get him back on to do a deep dive. Okay, one more promo. The Kings. Not a lot to say. I've already kind of talked about... Um, uh, these promo mode episodes. I'm glad we do them. We're going to keep them short. I hope I did hear from a lot of you that went out and bought that song, Circle of Friends. I hope you like it. Thank you for supporting these guys. That is the whole point. That song is 99 cents, you know? And they're a great band, and it's worth it. I, and I wouldn't I wouldn't push it if I didn't think it was worth it. If, it. if the song sucked or the band sucked, but I still had them on on promo mode, I would just encourage you to do whatever you wanted to do. But these guys are great, and it's only 99 cents. There's no excuse not to buy a great song for 99 cents. Um, Less than a cup of coffee. That's right. That's it. Okay, Marco Peroni. That um, was superb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's kind of a proud... I'm really proud that of that, that, that happened. I had been... First of all, I mean, Adam Ant. Come on, I'm a giant Adam Ant fan. I've tried to get Adam on here. Um, it's never happened. I don't know that it ever will. But Marco, I always thought, would have an interesting story anyway because he's basically Adam's musical collaborator and companion during all those years. And I've always thought, how can I make this happen? And it finally happened. And um, I was a little nervous that our interview was a little unfocused. He was just, he's kind of a rambler, you know? I mean, for a while there, he's in the car. Near the end, he's playing his guitar while we're talking, which is, I am i cannot believe that the Marco Peroni is playing the guitar while we're talking, and I can hear it. But on the other hand, I worry, like, does this mean he's bored? Like Don Dixon washing dishes, you know? So I was a little nervous that he might not like me. But after it came out, he sent us an email saying that was great. There were so many things that you didn't ask me. You should bring me back on. And I thought, there are so many things I wanted to ask you. And I was afraid that, I, you know, you you were a hard person to kind of corral. But he, it was great. It was totally entertaining. And it didn't bother me at all. But I just thought, let's let Marco be Marco. You know, I don't need to come in with an agenda. Let's just let Marco be him. That, there's plenty of entertainment value there. And uh, he liked it, and he wants to come back on and do a deep dive with us. Oh, that'd be Amazing. awesome. Yeah. Like, he, he was quite a bit of work, too, actually. Yeah, yeah, I there thought was, it would there, be. Yeah, there was, there was quite a lot to that, but mm -hmm. I thought it turned out really well. I did, too. I did, too. That's another one of the ones I'm really proud of. Um, I hesitated whether, I, whether to tell this story. I think we have time, so I'm going to tell it real quick. Speaking of Matthew Seligman. So... A while ago, almost maybe, maybe almost a year ago. So I was doing some research on how do I get a hold of Marco. He doesn't have a social media presence. There's not a website. I don't know what, how to find people if that's the case. But I noticed that he and Matthew Seligman worked together with Sinead O'Connor. And um, so I went back to Matthew and I said, "Hey, do you are you in touch at all with Marco Peroni? Do you know how I would get in touch with him?" He says, I'm not, but the guy you want to talk to is John Reynolds. I'll introduce you. So he sends a message on Facebook to me and John Reynolds. 
John, this is John Lamoureux. He does this podcast. He'd love to talk to Marco. Do you know how he can get in touch with Marco? And I reply right away, hey, John, I'd love to talk to Marco if that's okay with you. I assume I, I, should, I was in the car. My wife was driving and I'm in the passenger seat. And I assume that this John Reynolds guy is also a musician. And it felt a little rude to go through one musician to get to another without at least extending an olive branch that, hey, maybe we'll talk to you sometime too, John Reynolds, whose name is not ringing a bell in that moment. So I say, yeah, I'd love to talk to Marco and hey, maybe even talk to you sometime, John. A few minutes later, <laughs> I start thinking, I better look up who John Reynolds is before I go down this road. I don't even know if I, who he is or if I want to talk to him. I look him up and I noticed that all of his credits are with Sinead O'Connor. And I know that Sinead O'Connor is a very touchy subject these days. Have you, are you, have you seen any of these videos or heard any of the news that relates to Sinead right now, Yan? I haven't for a while. Okay. She's battling mental illness and depression pretty badly. And uh, I don't know where she is right now, but for a couple of years, she was living in this like New Jersey motel and uh, posting some videos. It's really, really sad what has come of her. And um, so I reply, and I don't remember the exact words, but after I see this, I say, you know, John, I'd love to talk to you about your, I'm summarizing because I don't remember the exact wording, but it was basically, John, I'd love to talk to you, to you about your career. Even, you know, it, we can be very sensitive about how we talk about Sinead. Well, Matthew, pipes up immediately. I guess whatever I said, Matthew pipes up uh, uh, immediately. John, this is meant to be an interview with John Reynolds, not Sinead O'Connor. Please don't, please be sensitive to their situation, blah, blah, blah. Now I just want to kill myself because I've offended Matthew Seligman, who's a sweetheart of a guy, putting his neck out for me uh, with this John Reynolds guy. And, uh, I've made him mad and now he's going to be, he's going to regret having put in a good word for me. I am so screwed and I just want to kill myself. I'm so depressed. No, Matthew, I'm so, of course, I'm so sorry. No, I, I understand this is sensitive with Sinead. That was not what I was going for. I'm really sorry. No, that's not what I meant. I eventually, so I never do really hear back from John Reynolds. After all of this, I go back again and I realize John Reynolds is Sinead O'Connor's ex-husband, as well as a former, mu former musical partner, guitarist, and all this stuff. Uh -huh. so, no, so they have a history. They have children together, you know? And uh, I guess I found out later from Matthew, thankfully he and I are on good terms again, that whatever I said, it came off that... Matthew thought that I was asking John if I could interview Sinead and no way was I doing that because I know what a touchy subject it is to talk about Sinead right now. I was trying to be very sensitive to John that I, I hope it's okay if we talk about Sinead, we don't have to get too into the weeds. I know that it's very touchy. Now I know as well that you're her, his, her ex-husband there. You may not want to talk about it at all. Anyway, it got, Harry there for a minute and um, luckily we figured it all out. Luckily Kevin Armstrong also knows Marco and put in a good word for me and that's how that all happened was thanks to Marco, thanks to Kevin Armstrong.
but it got a little weird. Anyway, bottom line is Marco Peroni, that's one of our proudest achievements. I'm really glad. And that's why I made it our 200th episode. Uh, now, Lawrence Gowan of the uh, band Sticks. There's another interesting story here. I'm going to, I'll try and burn through this quickly. So a couple of months before that interview actually happened, I heard from one of our listeners, Amber Dawn. Amber Dawn, now, first of all, I should say, anytime we ever put out an episode with a Canadian, I hear from scores of Canadian listeners, thank you for talking about another Canadian. You need to have, and then they list off 10 bands I've never heard of. You need to have all these people on your show. And I like to think I know a lot about music and I don't ever discriminate where someone is from or other oh, Canadians, so I don't listen. I, that, excuse me, that never occurs to me. And yet I'm realizing that there are so many acts that are Canadian and Australian are the second biggest that I've never heard of that are huge up there and I don't know about them. And so whenever we feature someone who's Canadian or Australian, so many people come out of the woodworks. You need to talk to this band or this band or this band. Anyway, Amber had contacted me and said, could you get Lawrence Gowan on the show? And I vaguely remembered that name. She sent me a bunch of songs to listen to. I recognized a couple of them a little bit, not a ton. And I'm thinking, uh, yeah, when I get to it, I'll get around to Lawrence Gowan at some point. And then she sends me another message. Oh, it looks like he's now the lead singer of Sticks. So he's probably, I'm thinking, well, he's too busy to talk to me. He's not, the lead singer of Sticks is not going to come on our show, you know? And yet. And yet, <laughs> it happened anyway. Yeah. So um, around the same time, this would have been November, December. Um, I, I don't think he's still listening, but a guy named Ari Ginsberg, I believe was his name fellow podcaster contacted me and he said hey John would you be interested in talking to a publicist contacted him pitching talking to Gowan Lawrence Gowan about their show with Larry the Cable Guy Ari said to me hey John would you be is this something you'd want to do you're not going to believe this Ari Amber Dawn and I just the other day had a conversation about getting Gowan on the show and now here a publicist is contacting you. Uh, is anyone interested in talking to Gowan about this Larry the Cable Guy concert tour? I said, absolutely, I'm 100% interested in talking to Gowan. So I could only I could only secure about a half hour. And that interview happened two days after Christmas. I'm at my in-laws in Utah. It was early in the morning. I wake up. I'm still in like my pajamas in bed. And I talk to him on the phone. And um, it's going pretty well. And we talk mostly about the tour, which I think is kind of interesting because if you're going to align yourself with Larry the Cable Guy, who's typically a Republican-focused comedian and Republican, politics are very fraught with tension in our country right now, Yan, as you might know. I think they are yeah. in your country as well these days. Um, what does that mean? You know, if you're going on tour with a republican friendly comedian i'm not judging but i'm just asking what does that mean are you sending a message to everybody that we're therefore big trump supporters or whatever you know maybe there's no message at all but it's i think it's a natural thing to ask so by the time this is all over our time is up and i say look i would really love to talk to you for another few minutes about your solo career if you're open to that he said absolutely just set it up with the publicist we'll do it um, I held on to that interview for two and a half months. 
because I was hoping that we would get a part two and then we could put it out in time to promote their tour with Larry the Cable Guy. And I waited and I waited and I waited and it never happened. And his publicist finally said, yeah, it's not going to happen. So um, apologies to all the Canadians who, especially Amber, who were hoping that I would get more into his solo career. I was hoping that too. And I listened to all of it to get ready and it didn't work out. So hopefully we uh, can do it another time. And you talk about aligning with Larry, Larry the Cable Guy, who is hilarious, by the way. Mm -hmm. But uh, you take your bucks where you can get them, I guess. Very good point. Very good point. Yeah, but I don't... A, a, oh, a career is a career and you got to make your money somehow. It is. And I agree. And I'm not... Uh, if, for any Republicans who are listening, I'm not, this is not a slam against Republicans. I am not a fan of our president. I will be honest. He, he's horrible to me, but that doesn't, he's not horrible because he's a Republican. So, um, I don't mind or anything. I just was curious. I just want to establish that for anyone who's wondering. So hopefully someday down the line, we can get Larry to come back on and do focus more on his solo career. But I tried to make it happen this time. Um, you're a Styx fan, aren't you? I like some of their stuff, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Styx, I've tried to get Dennis DeYoung on here too, and I got turned down for that, uh, unfortunately too. Yeah, that might not be a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> He's still really busy. He is a real raconteur. He used to have his own podcast, and it was just him telling funny stories. He was great at it. He's a really funny, affable guy. Um, but I guess he was, his people just said he was too busy and they didn't want to bug him by asking. And I understood sure. that was about a year ago. So I might try again. Yeah. Um, well, I could, I could see where he'd be quite busy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Then Michael Beinhorn, um, producer. Uh, I thought that one was great too. I loved that. Um, he worked with a lot of artists that are, we don't talk that much about on here. Like, I'm not a fan of Marilyn. In fact, I have real serious issues with Marilyn Manson, but I'm happy to discuss the guy who worked with them and Hole and Soundgarden and Chili Peppers and all those kinds of bands. Uh -huh. um, so I was really glad that we got him on the show. I didn't, it wasn't full of fireworks or anything like that. It wasn't sexy, but uh, just the Chili Pepper information and hearing his thoughts on Chris Cornell was worth all of it, if you ask me. Didn't you think? Oh, I thought, yeah. I mean, to me, it's great getting a producer on here on on a somewhat regular basis because it's you know they they'll have interesting experiences working with some bands. They'll have interesting stories, interesting ex good experiences, some bad experiences, maybe sometimes. Yeah. And it's all it's all good. Yeah. He was pretty reserved with a lot of his thoughts and comments, but that's okay. I mean, he was he was still a great guy, and we got to showcase a lot of music. I will say, I'm going to keep it a secret who it is, but I am working on another legendary producer has agreed to come on. Um, the interview has not happened yet. I'm waiting for him to confirm. If it happens, it will likely be our fourth birthday guest, because that's coming up the first Tuesday of May. So let's, uh, okay, let's talk about Brad Sunberg and Michael Jackson. This is really the one... Um, that requires the most, the most commentary. Uh, it's tough. I um, what? Are you up on this, Yan? Do you have an opinion or thoughts about what's 
the stuff that's happening in relation to Michael Jackson right now? I've not seen the document documentary, and I'm not going to bother. Okay. But I've, you know, I've heard about it. Uh, I wasn't a. <laughs> I'll be upfront and honest. I wasn't a Michael Jackson fan anyway. So. Yeah. I mean, other than some of the early stuff with the, with the, with the family. Yeah. You know, not really. Yeah. M- much of a Jackson fan at all. When when he was first a cues though of like molesting children and all that stuff in the 90s did you have an opinion about all that back then yeah a little bit yeah and probably the same as as my opinion now you know as, Which as a parent you know yeah. as a as a parent of a, a child yeah uh why would you even leave your child in a situation where the where there could be accusations like that made yeah whether he did it or not, you know, from a from a parent perspective, what the heck yeah. were they thinking? Yeah. So I, um, as I said in that interview, I've been of two minds. I um, back when the accusations first came out, I think it was '99 or something like that. Um, Michael was at his strangest, and it was easy to think that a guy this strange might have done something like that. I will admit, I still, oh, I still hold to this idea that. The Michael Jackson that I think of is not a sexual predator like this or a groomer or a monster. I'm, But when I watched Leaving Neverland, I did not get the impression that anyone was lying. So I came away from that thinking, yeah, this probably did happen. But then I talked to Brad and uh, Brad is sure that it didn't. And character witnesses, maybe that's the wrong thing, but... I look toward character witnesses to um, there's so many people like Spike Lee or Quincy Jones or what Oprah too until this most recent till the Leaving Neverland documentary who always kind of came to defend Michael and so I always listen to them I figured they might be they would know and no like Cosby avalanche of accusations have ever really come out I should say I'm like you I was a giant Michael Michael fan until thriller and but i was off the bandwagon by bad and i've never gone back on i don't i don't mean to sound crass to to the you know uh who these crimes were perpetuated against i don't really care like if he did it or not it doesn't matter to me because if he did or not it doesn't my fandom or anything is not hanging by a thread here i don't i uh doesn't matter to me if he did or not, because I don't spend a lot of time thinking about Michael Jackson. But I came away from that documentary thinking that he probably did do it. And then I talked to Brad, and it sounds like maybe he didn't. And I'm not sure what to believe, and I'll probably stay that way. I don't know for sure. You know, from the first go-around, way back when, you know, I don't know how they got hold of it, but, and it's it's gone now. You, you I don't think you'd be able to see it now, but somehow... One of the online gossip sites had gotten hold of a leak of information from the sheriff's department, and it was pretty mm. gruesome. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Well, know, the documentary you know, was pretty gruesome. The thing, and that's one of the things that kind of sold me that they he probably did do it, is because they the two guys they interviewed t- said uh, detailed the same things that Michael was supposedly into sexually. You know, unless they planned that ahead of time, how else would they know? 
I wanted to say one thing, and I don't know exactly what this even means. That out, that episode blew up as well. Thankfully, mostly to Brad, and uh, he shared it. He has a lot of diehard fan. There is, I had no idea. There is a huge MJ truther culture out there that are pushing back, trying to like clear the good name of Michael Jackson, you know? Uh And I didn't realize that was happening. And so this interview was like catnip for them because Brad defending Michael is just what they wanted. And there were, I don't know if you saw, you probably saw the Facebook stuff, but maybe not the Twitter stuff. The Facebook stuff was pretty, Okay, we had some people arguing, you know, he did it, he didn't do it on Facebook. On Twitter, it got much uglier. But that thing just kept getting retweeted and retweeted and retweeted. And um, But what I thought was really interesting is that almost none of our normal, regular listeners have commented about that episode. We have, I mean, we have thankfully several hundred listeners that listen to every episode we put out. And there are probably 20 to 40 who are especially, uh, who comment a lot. You know, they're always checking in. This was great. This wasn't great. Why didn't you ask him this or that? And, um, or I'll get, we'll get emails, you know. Um, I thought this was good or I didn't or whatever. I haven't heard from hardly any of those people. And I don't know what that means. I don't know if... They're just not interested in Michael Jackson, so they didn't listen. I don't know if this subject is too touchy and they're afraid to say yay or nay. I don't know. This is one thing that does really worry me is that I've given the impression that I'm sure that he's innocent and that they are sure that he's guilty. And so they are either offended that I think that, which I don't, or they um, just don't want to argue with me about it. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's my take. Yeah, you know what? Uh, whether he did or didn't, it's not my place to judge. What we do is mm-hmm. we put out a documented history of somebody's experience with musicians. I agree, and that's what that was. And I tried to approach that as respectfully as I could. I didn't want to bring Brad on and then make him have to defend Michael and like, well, what about this, Brad? What about that? Now he did. I will say one thing: he hasn't watched the movie, and I do feel like if you're going to be out there defending Michael, you have to watch that movie. It's not fair that you don't, because you have to know what people are angry with him about right now. And uh, that's like you know when those Christian organizations pick it against someone like Marilyn Manson or whatever, because you're ruining our young kids' minds. Well, have you ever actually listened? Well, no, I don't have to, though, because I know it's evil. No, you, you've, to be informed, fully informed, you have to do that. You can't just be angry and say, you know, it didn't happen, but then not watch the movie. You have to watch the movie if you're going to be out there defending him. So I just thought, I'll, Brad's here and I can voice some of my questions or the things that I'm unsure of, the things that don't add up to me and hear what he has to say. I was kind of proud of that one. I thought it turned out journalistically i like when we do journalistic episodes here where i get to be more of like a you know a newsman than just a an interviewer i um i really like that one a lot um i will tell one more story the night that 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 the movie uh, premiered on hbo my wife farah a friend of hers from college uh named hector 
who is a choreographer, happened to be here in Denver and they went to dinner. And it was the first time they had seen each other, I think since college. This guy, Hector, is friends with Wade Robson, who's one of the guys in the documentary making these accusations. Uh -huh. Wade goes around the country, around the world, doing these choreography, uh, like instructional, I don't know, classes on weekends. That's how he makes a living. Wade happened to be in Denver the weekend that that happened, that the movie premiered, I should say. And Hector had to leave dinner with Farah so that he could go back to the hotel to watch the premiere of Leading Neverland with Wade at the hotel. Isn't that crazy? Uh -huh. And Hector told Farah, oh, absolutely, Michael did all those things. Now, you know, I think that's a, that's a really interesting witness as well because it's not just Wade out there telling the story and Wade's mom. It's also, you know, Wade's friend who doesn't need to say or do anything and he wasn't, in, you know, on a pulpit in front of the world says to my wife, oh yeah, Michael totally did all those things. Anyway, a little bit of uh, information to, you know, help inform where you might stand on all of this. Um, I could go on and on for about Brad. And if you have thoughts or questions, feel free to message us or whatever. But um, I do want to know why our regular listeners never uttered a peep about that episode. Maybe one or two of you did, and that's it. Curious why. The last one, okay, Brent Bourgeois. I'll just be quick about this. Um, I reached out to Brent when I think episode eight came out. And he wrote back right away, sure, when would you like to do the interview? And I wrote back, hey, how's next week at this time? And I didn't hear from him. And so I messaged him again. Hey, uh, you said you'd do it. Let's do it. How about this? Nothing. Two years go by and I, po I poke him every few months. Hey, Brent, remember me? You said years ago that you would come on my podcast and I never heard from you again, but we'd still love to have you. How about now? Two years go by, Brent replies, sure, I'll come on the podcast. When do you want to do it? That's great news, Brent. How about next week at such and such a time? Nothing. I don't hear from him again. Finally, another year and a half goes by, and he finally replies and says, sorry about this. Yes, let's do it. So I got asked the other day, what's the longest time between when someone said they would be on the podcast and when they actually were on the podcast, it's Brent Bourgeois. He took three and a half years <laughs> to come on this show. My gosh. Um, anyway, uh, that was another Paul one. He talked a lot about Christianity, which was great, but we cut it down. And then he talked a long time about his job at Facebook. And we trimmed that down. That uh, He and I spoke for 50 minutes one day. And we ran out of time and I said, Brent, if I could have you for like 10 more minutes just to cap off the rest of this conversation, that'd be great. So we talked the next day and instead of it being 10 minutes, it was a whole other hour that we talked. <laughs> yeah, it was long. So anyway, Paul did a great job of cutting that one down and making yep. it perfect the way that it was. Uh, then lastly, our deep dive with Stu Cook. I, I don't I haven't even listened to it yet. I haven't had a chance because it just You're came out You're going to love it. I believe it. I just, like I said on Facebook, I cannot believe a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer like Stu Cook takes our calls. Yeah. 
Oh, and and he want he was interested in coming back again sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Stu Cook will come on our show whenever he can. That is crazy. Yeah, he's awesome. He's and the I, best. I, I get that that you know it's time. You know, they they probably are slowing down a bit. I tell you what, if they if they tour anywhere reasonably near me, I'm gonna go and see them. Yeah, Creed's Clearwater Revisited. If you want to hear those songs, and Fogarty isn't around, because Fogarty's great too. Even though I think he's a nightmare to be in a band with. Um, if you listen to Stu, but uh, you, if you want to hear those songs played by two original members, go see Revisited because that's the best chance you're gonna you're gonna get. Um, Okay, I'm gonna. We're running out of time here. I'm gonna throw out a couple of these listener questions. Do you have anything else you want to add to any of these episodes, Yen? Uh, no, no. Okay. I just thought that I really enjoyed having Stu Cook back on. Yeah. I really enjoyed getting and, like I said on my own pay, on my own personal page, you know, once you hear why Creedence still doesn't have a, a lifetime achievement award <laughs> or a Grammy, you're just gonna go what. Oh, it's so funny. That was so funny. I love it. Yeah, Stu is great. Um, okay, I'm going to throw out some of these listener questions. Um, we've been talking a lot, and uh, I want to get to a few of these, though. Diamond Dave asks, will I get Glenn or Chris from Squeeze on the show? I love Squeeze, obviously. I would, We had Gilson on a couple years ago. Um, I don't double dip in the same, I get asked this all the time. I don't double dip in the same bands very often because I feel like there's so many stories to tell out there. We don't need to get every member of like the alarm on here or whatever, but I'll make exceptions for the bands that I really like. And of course, Squeeze is one of my favorite bands ever. So what's interesting, Diamond Dave, if you're listening, uh, Diamond Dave and I are going to go see Squeeze here in Denver in concert on the 6th, I think, of September. Um, uh, yeah, yes. I know. They're coming through here. It's going to be great. Uh, right after I he posted this question, I got an email from a publicist asking me to forward on to our listeners that, the, that Squeeze is going back out on a North American tour. And I wrote back and I said, hey, what are the chances of getting Glenn or Chris on my show? This lady knows me because I've get, I've gotten other emails from her. She coincidentally handles Adam Ant, actually. And she's who I ask and she's the one who turns me down for Adam. I have not heard back. So we'll see. I would love, I don't know about Chris so much. Nothing against Chris, but Glenn has some solo albums I would also like to ask about. So I will try. Uh, Bruce Harfield asks a question that a lot of people ask. Do we ever have to pay copyright for the songs? And uh, the answer is no. Um, maybe technically we should. People like Eddie Trunk, who have you know millions of listeners, are very careful about that kind of thing. But my feeling on all of this is that if they were going to come after us for playing songs, they would have to go after literally thousands of other music podcasts. And uh, I don't know that the FCC or whoever it is in charge of this kind of thing um, wants to go do all that kind of grunt work. You know what I mean? Well, there is a certain fair use element to, to some of that stuff. There is. Uh, and then also what we're doing is we're providing them for some free marketing. Exactly. That's exactly my feeling, too, is that this is promotional. 
Um, and my thinking too, and I think Pat Francis from Rock Solid has mentioned the same thing before, is that if you were to cl- if you were to preview a song on iTunes, you I think you get to hear like ninety seconds of the song to uh-huh. give you an idea. So yeah. my thinking is, well, if we preview ninety or so seconds of a song on our episode, what's the difference? You know, that's one of the reasons we don't play entire songs. Or if we do, like in the intro and the outro, I'm talking over most of them just in case. Now, there's an implied approval from the guests that it's okay to do this because they're on the show and we're talking about these things. And I tell them this is what we're going to do. But my thinking, too, is that very rarely do we play an entire song that someone could, if they wanted to, pirate off of this episode and steal for themselves. Usually I'm talking over it. But sometimes we do, and that's fine. But, I mean, if you ever listen, I know you don't, but if you ever listen to the Rock and or Roll podcast, that's all BJ does is play songs and um, whole songs. So I would think that whoever's going to police this stuff would need to go after those guys. And if they come after us and they say, you got to stop doing it, then we'll stop doing it. But no one's ever said that. So. Well, here's, here's what I do. Uh, I deliberately try and build it in such a way that when you're, you know, I, I, I'll spin... Uh, talking over some of the music up and down when you if you download the episode you're not going to get it split out into individual tracks you're getting the episode track you'd have to do a lot of work to get, actually get the to get a song from what we put out interesting okay um yeah so that's our philosophy on that i mean maybe we're not supposed to do it but it's one of those things where you ask for forgiveness instead of permission so we'll see and the hope is that you know by doing this, for some of these these guys that that we're putting on on the show, we want people to go out that that may not have heard their music before or in in a while, and hopefully it turns into a few bucks for these people. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, if we're trying to help, you know, that's why we play all this all the clips that we do is so that there's context, so that when we're if we're talking to a band you don't know that well, and we play. 90 seconds of a song, obscure song that he and I are talking about. Hopefully that's enough time for you to be like, I like that. I'm going to go look further into that, you know, whatever you got to do. Um, <clears throat> this question I think is so funny. Andy Shaw, who, as most people know by now, is basically our chief marketing officer with all the promotion that he does in helping get further the good word of the hustle. We love you, Andy, so much. Uh, Andy asks, what are the top five episodes? Which I think is really funny because I would think he might know better than we would at this point with how into our catalog he is, you know? Now, is he talking top five numbers-wise, top five? Ooh, oh my gosh. I didn't even think about that, Yan. I assumed he meant numbers. Oh my gosh. So I went with numbers. Let me tell you numbers-wise because I post this on Facebook once in a while. Uh, our most popular episode by far, more than double our second best, is Mike Lindup from Level 42. Um, and who, by the way, has agreed to come back on and do a deep dive. Our second most popular episode is, do you remember? Robbie Robin Clark. Yep, Robin Clark. Uh, that's our second biggest episode of all time. Our third, now, this kind of surprised me, is Steve Ferris from Mr. Mister which well, was our birthday episode last year. That's not a big surprise. Uh, Mr. Mister has been one of the yeah. most requested. 
that one, I guess, thanks to all the Mr. Mr. Fans and Kiss fans, because he talked about Kiss, that one just keeps growing and growing. So that one's our third by now. Our fourth is Steve Kilby from The Church, um, which I'm really glad about because that still goes down as one of my very favorite episodes. In fact, if we were doing our top five favorite favorite episodes, that would probably be in my top five somewhere. And then fifth, I couldn't believe this until I just double-checked, that Thomas Dolby deep dive with Seligman, that's our number five biggest episode ever. Can you believe that? That's that's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. And um, just outside the top five next at six is Eddie McDonald from The Alarm. So that's the top five in terms of numbers. Boy, if you... I didn't think of it in terms of like our top five favorites. We might have to table that question for next time. Andy, let us know if that's what you meant. Because that would be... That's a totally different discussion. Uh, we'll have to think about that. Uh, let's see. I, we're, we're pretty much... I got to go do something else. So I think we're going to cut... The, the other two questions that we have are really good. And I'm going to save them, I think, for next time. One of them, Ken Cole asks, Why are the 80s still so inescapable? And um, I have a whole theory about that. And I'm going to table that one. Sorry, Ken, until next time. And then lastly, I love this question. Michael Bagford asks, what's the most interesting feedback, comment, or blowback we've received from one of our episodes? First of all, I wonder, do you mean from a listener or from the guest? Uh, because our guests, I don't think we've ever gotten negative feedback from a guest. You know, they usually just don't tell us. Um we have gotten, thankfully, a few. Um, like, that was the best interview I've ever done. Or um, Chris Dunn. I think I told you Chris Dunn from City Boy, which came out on Christmas. He contacted me about a month after it came out. He said, I just wanted you to know I'm listening now for the second time. And I'm amazed at what you guys are able to do. And that, to me, is more than just the interview. That, to me, is the production as well. The marriage of these two things that we're doing, Yan. So that, I, that was a real vote of confidence that he said that, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so I'm going to have to, I want to give a really thoughtful answer to that one, Michael, because I like that question a lot. Off the top of my head, if we're talking about a guest, my favorite, and I've told this story before, Christopher Thorne from Blind Melon. After the episode comes out, I get an email from Christopher Thorne. He said, John, I just finished listening to the episode and I have to be honest with you. And I'm preparing for him to say that was terrible or whatever. Because I think Christopher was episode like 16. So it's still really early on. And I remember being at work when I get his email. And then instead it says that was the best interview I've ever done. And I've done a million of them. And I started to tear up because I could not believe that a guy who has been featured in like Rolling Stone magazine is telling me this nobody who's starting this thing out of his home, has no connections anywhere. I supposedly did the, his best interview ever. I cannot believe that. So that's, off the top of my head, that's one of them. Secondly, real quick, I'll just say, so one of our, I'm going to withhold the name. One of our listeners who I have grown to really appreciate because I love when you guys are communicative with us. You give us a lot of feedback. You tell us what you think. Um, you comment, you whatever. I'm so grateful for all of you. This doesn't refer to one of our episodes, but I was on Rock and Roll recently to talk about REM. 
And the host, BJ and I, instead of getting into like the history of REM, which we felt like has already been told a million times, we decided to approach it as like, does REM still matter? Because you don't hear about them as much anymore and they're not a band anymore. They were the most important American band of all time for a while there. And now what is their legacy? So we approached it that way. One of our listeners called us out and was pretty pissed off. They were obviously very big REM fans. Pissed off that we didn't, I don't know, give a better history lesson of the band or didn't tell him what he wanted to hear. And um, I was pretty bummed about that. And I'm not going to, I don't want to make a big thing out of it because I talked to this person a lot and I'm very grateful for him. And I'm not mad. But in the moment, that was that was uh, disappointing that we didn't give this guy what he wanted. And my, I was a little rude about it, but my response to anyone who's critical of our podcast, you are more than welcome to go start your own podcast and do it however you want to do it. And you, all the things that I don't do, that if I talk over someone too much or our production isn't good enough or we're late or we don't, I say too much of this or not enough of that, I encourage all of you to go start your own podcasts and make them whatever you want. Be as great as you want to be. I will listen and support you, I promise. That way, you're not relying on me to be perfect for you. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Anyway, um, I hope that wasn't too harsh, but that's my feeling about that. I had posted, we didn't, I normally like to play a song from one of our listeners that is available for purchase. I didn't have one already keyed up in mind, so I threw it out on Facebook. And Andrew B. White, one of our listeners, sent a link saying he just released this song on Friday. It's called Won't Compromise, and it's by Diamond Field and Bob Harrow. I hope I'm saying this right. And I assume this is this is Andrew B. White, one of our listeners. It's available on iTunes and Spotify. Please go check it out. Okay?